Good morning. I love Sundays. So fun. It's like a family reunion every Sunday. So good. Uh, we're going to just jump right in. If you have your Bible, let's turn to the book of 1 Peter. It's great to see you. I think we have a couple visitors this morning. We're blessed that you're here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you got in the door and we didn't get a chance to welcome you, uh, forgive us. We also have a little packet, just as a small way just to say we appreciate uh, you being here. It's a little thing of coffee, and we'd love to get that to you, too, if we missed you. Uh, so did anyone get in the door? You're new, and uh, we forgot to get you a, a welcome packet. Did everyone get one okay? <coughs> All right. Jo- Josh gets to keep his job. That's good. <laughs> oh, also, real quick, so public service announcement. This Tuesday is Valentine's Day. Josh and you guys are at Kirk. Valentine's Day, but, but if, you know, the saying goes, when in Rome, if you're going to follow the Japanese tradition, ladies, you have to buy the chocolate to this round, so that's, that's how, I didn't make that rule, that's just, that's how God designed it, and, uh, <laughs> alright, anybody need to borrow a Bible? If you do, you can raise your hand real high, these guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible. We're in First Peter, we're still in chapter 1, we are slow crawling our way through, taking a a stroll and looking at uh, all of the leaves of the trees of the forest. So, and guess what? We're going to, we're going to take a deep dive. Verse 13, one verse uh, today, one verse Sunday. It it is packed though with some great truths. And as always, we are trusting that the spirit of God has some handles that he wants to give us so we can attach to these truths, so we can carry them home and make application of them, that they would be played out and lived out in our lives as followers of Christ. Uh, Actually, I do have one thing I want to share with you. You guys seen the news, obviously. I imagine you have uh, that we as a church, and really I think as we consider what's happening in the world, a lot's going on, but with the recent earthquake or earthquakes, Turkey and Syria, uh, it should be a prompt for us to pray. And uh, and so I want to just encourage us as a church family to be praying for those nations and those peoples. Uh, You know, the the number is staggering, but it's over 20,000 people died, right? 20,000 souls uh, have entered into eternity. Um, And with the situation there with winter and many who are still trapped, we want to pray for them that they will be found we want to pray for um, the rescuers, uh, you know, just those who are in that process. I don't think we can imagine the, the mental strain, the emotional, you know, the energy, the spiritual part of that, uh, physical rest and safety for them. Of course, the families, many who have just suffered tremendous loss, families that have been broken now, uh, Kids without parents and parents without kids and their loved ones. And then uh, let's pray for governments and authorities, for wisdom, um, for, for right priorities for them in the midst of just this tra- tragedy. So we want to do that as well. Okay? All right. Well, if you're there at 1 Peter 1.13, would you stand with me? We've had a number of... One verse Sundays, 
couple of two-verse Sundays, so you won't have to stand very long. Of course, Peter himself, who knew Jesus, walked with Jesus, we might even say was a friend of Jesus, inspired and empowered by the Spirit of Jesus, writes these words for us, meant something for the original audience, and of course, as we read it today, we trust means something for us. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, we'll pause there. I know David prayed, but let's, let's pray one more time for our study, and we'll pray for Turkey and Syria. Father, we thank you for the morning. Our hearts and thoughts and prayers go outside of these four walls to across the world to another nation and peoples. Lord, you, you told us, Jesus, that uh, there's a day where you're coming back soon, and, and, and one of those things that will happen as the world uh, itself, creation itself, groans in anticipation of redemption. And that part of that groaning includes then uh, catastrophe, it includes earthquakes and famines and pestilence. And so, Lord, on, on one side, we recognize that you're, in your sovereignty, you have allowed these things, you use these things as reminders uh, that this is not our home and that you have a divine timeline in which you operate by. But Lord, also on the other hand, we, we recognize there are people and families and souls that you love and you care about, people who have um, entered into eternity and many, many more who are injured and many, many more who are suffering now uh, loss. And so, God, our, our, our prayers are for them. We, we pray for those who are still in need of rescue. We pray for the rescuers. We pray, Lord, for the families and governments and authorities. Lord, we pray for your bright light to shine in a very dark place and that you would be glorified. And through um, pain and suffering, that hearts and eyes would be open to your truth Lord, that you would save many. Father, speak to our hearts as we seek to understand what your spirit wanted to say through Peter and how it applies to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Would you take a moment, greet a neighbor, say hello to someone, introduce yourself to somebody new, and then you can have a seat. If you were with us last week, you remember we, we talked about the significance of our salvation, that great gift of God's grace to us who believe in, have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you weren't here, that's okay. I'll review some of that. But also we do, with modern technology, have that available on podcast and our live stream archive and those things. But the Apostle Peter writing to... This group of, as he refers to them as pilgrims and sojourners who've been exiled in this part of the world, one of the things that he was wanting to do was aiming that the reader of his letter would, would grasp the, the greatness of the gift that God has given us in our salvation, what it means to be saved and what it means to be born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ. And, and he had been making emphasis in one ways to 
highlight the greatness of that by um, saying that we as Christians today, and of course them as Christians then, who knew and saw and believed in the Messiah, we get to experience and we get to enjoy the reality of a relationship with God that the Old Testament prophets uh, only could see in part. That they too had a relationship, but it, was, but it was very different. And so for them, it was a, a preview of coming attractions. It, uh, they, they didn't fully understand what it would be to be saved by grace. And they could only imagine. And we talked about how in many ways what God did was he, he had a plan. He had a rescue plan from the beginning. But through the Old Testament, we realized there were uh, hints and clues. There were pieces of, of the puzzle of this picture of our salvation that he gave to the prophets of old to include people and places, the tabernacle, the temple, the, the whole Levitical system, all of it that served a purpose for them, but also it served as a giant uh, storybook, foreshadows, and, and, well, a preview of Christ to come. And all of that pointing us to Jesus, fulfilled in Jesus. And, and so for them, it would be like, as we do today, you know, we watch these trailers or we watch a sneak preview, right? It's coming attractions. It's not the whole movie. It's just highlights. It's just little parts that might get us excited. And of course, that's the intention, to draw our attention to something that's coming and, oh, we want to be a part of that. And Peter says they inquired about it. They were searching it out. There's something that the Spirit of God was, you know, working in them. For many years here in Okinawa, there has been rumor of a earthly glory to come. Costco. <laughs> You've heard about it. We've read about it. Uh, they've teased us. They've taunted us. Uh, and I had inquire about it. In fact, I'd call my friends in Tokyo. I have some that worked for Costco. Hey, I'm hearing this. Is this true? Do you have any inside information? But if you've been here for some time like me, there's been times I want to put on sackcloth and ashes in my morning and <laughs> just toying with my emotions, right? You get excited and like, oh, it's not really coming, right? Just up and down. And for years now, they've been saying that. And then last year, we heard the news again. And, uh, you know, my, my default of my personality is skepticism even to the point where I'm cynical, like, I'm not going to believe it. So I'm standing there eating a Kirkland pizza, you know. <laughs> I've heard this story before. But then another friend whose husband works for a major construction company here in Okinawa, who apparently they have the contract to build the incoming Costco, sent me a picture of the uh, title board that the Japanese often do of the um, groundbreaking date and the name, and uh, at that time it was supposed to come this holiday. It's been moved to the summer, so we'll still see, right? We'll still see. But I, I want to see. I want to see the blueprints. I want to see the mock-up. Uh, I, I want to inquire. I'm interested in this. 
And again, I, I won't believe it till, here in, in Japan they have bogogi bakes, not chicken bakes, which, anyways, infinitely greater. Now, some of you, because of the nature of your job and uh, the season that you're here, uh, you, you, pop, you probably won't be here uh, when Costco hopefully finally arrives. And so right now, it's just a rumor. It's just a promise. It's just them saying, oh, this is going to come. But one day, hopefully, that promise will become reality. And for some of us who will still be here, we'll get to enjoy that, at least on this side of the ocean. Of course, if you, depending where you go, that might be one already. But what will we do when Costco finally is built? It's not that I'm just hoping another building is built on island. It's not like it gets built and I'm like, that's great. Look, we got one. I want to go. I want to enjoy all of the benefits of it, all of the, you know, the partake of the reality of its promise. See, Peter had been telling his readers, listen, we have gotten to partake of the reality of a promise that the Old Testament prophets could only dream of and see. They didn't get to taste it. They didn't get to experience it. This amazing gift, better than Costco, in Christ Jesus, eternal, life abundant, life eternal. But now that we have that gift, what do we do? What do we do in response to the fact that you and I have been saved by the grace of God, that God, uh, before the foundation of the world in his abundant mercy, who begot you? What do we do with that? This is where Peter brings us. He directs us now into its application. How do we respond to this? He says, therefore, therefore. That's the, that's the Bible's way of getting our attention. When we see that word, we should pause for a moment and look back to the previous text and context to see what was the writer saying? What was the previous truths that are connecting us now what was given before, and so now in light of that, what do we know, what do we do, how do we respond? And by the way, I want to pause for a moment and just kind of lay out something foundational for us. And Maybe it's going to be review. I imagine it will be review for many of you. It's important for us to understand the relationship between doctrine and duty of what God tells us that we should know and then what God tells us what we should do. Because what we do really then is an extension of who we are. What we do is an extension of who we are. And who we are is really an outflow of what God has done. God is the initiator. And what God has done really is an outflow and extension of who God is. Because God is loving, and God is caring, and God is good, and God is gracious. Because God is, he then, in that kindness and grace, chased you, pursued you, rescued us. And so often we can get that backwards. And, and, And religion often does. Religion often starts with the person, oh, you have to be good, Be good, do good. If you can be good and do good, then God will love you. Then you'll please God. Then you'll get to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. But that's not the gospel. See, the Bible says that even while we weren't doing good, while we were yet sinners, 
We have nothing to do with God. God still loved you. God still pursued you. God still demonstrated that by sending his son to live and die for you and for me. So we don't want to get those things backwards. And as we read this, we understand, oh, this is an outflow. It's applicational. Gird and be sober and rest your hope as obedient children. Don't conform yourself to your old life as your ignorance. You know, be holy. All of these things that we will read, these imperatives, but they flow from the fact of who we are because of who God is. You guys tracking? We good? God's kindness leads us to repentance. We, we love God because he first loved us. And so it's really important for us to understand then when we understand and come to begin to see God's great love and God's goodness, this gift that he's given us, well, then we respond to that. Then we respond to it in repentance. We respond to it in love. We respond to it in worship. We respond to it in service. We respond to it in obedience because we're overwhelmed by the love of the Lord. As Peter told us already, right? It, it, God the Father's abundant mercy that we have, been, we have been begotten again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. So this amazing gift of grace starts there. In response to it, therefore, what do we do? He says, gird up the loins of your mind. That is a weird phrase. We don't use those terms, right? Gird up the loins of your mind. That sounds painful a little bit too, right? Like, what is that? It's an expression in Bible times. These days, in fact, there's still some places in the world today, in the Middle East and other places, where uh, men will wear long tunics or robes. And there's some, you know, some Pacific Islander places where they'll wear uh, you know, Samoa with the lava lava, right? The Fiji and other places. And so they're long, they're flowy, a little bit restrict movement. Um, and so in these times, those that were wearing these robes or these tunics, if they wanted to run, they wanted to have more mobility and agility, they would gird up their loins. They would take the extra fabric, the long, and they would basically pull it from the back and pull it to the front and make like a giant diaper or baggy shorts. That's what it would look like. And that way they would be able to run. They would be able to work. They, or someone was like, hey, you want to throw down? You like beef? They'd be like, all right, let's go, right? And they, <laughs> and they could then fight. They could wrestle, whatever it may be. And so girding was an important part. I don't know if it was necessary, but certainly if you wanted to have more mobility, if you wanted to have freedom of movement, you, you would need and want to gird yourself so that you could be ready for action. There's a smaller version of that, I think, today. You know, if we're wearing a long sleeve shirt and we're going to go work, we're going to, you know, do something, right? We'll maybe roll up our sleeves so we have more freedom or we'll take off, you know, an outer jacket or, you know, guys that have a tie, they want to get it in the way, they'll either take it off or tuck it in their shirt. And so it's the equivalent of that, like, like roll up the sleeves of your thinking. But, but Peter's using it as a metaphor because he attaches our mind. 
And some of your translations don't even have that weird phrase, gird yourself, you know, gird the loins of your mind. It just says, let your minds be ready or prepare your, your mind for action. And so what, what is Peter bringing us to? Here's an overarching kind of application for us in response to all that God has done. We need to take charge of our thinking. We need to, be, we need to think about what we think about and be mindful of our mind. And that phrase, though, girding, it implies a, a number of things. And for our time this morning, I'll just give you two, though even under these two, there, there are some subpoints to it. But the idea of girding means that you're ready for something. You're ready to run. You're ready to fight. You're ready for action. And so girding implies readiness. And then it also replies that, well, you're committed to it. Like, there's a resolve, you're going to do this. This isn't like you're entertaining. No, you're, you're resolved to do this. Now, that term readiness, it's something you hear, many of you hear in your job daily, perhaps, readiness. Even readiness can mean a few things. First, it's just making an evaluation. Are, are you ready? If you're like me, trying to get out my house on a Sunday morning, it's like, am, am I ready? I got to find my keys and my phone, and do I have my water bottle and, you know, some of your family have your sippy cup and the, you know, the diaper bag and you, you want to be ready, you make an evaluation. You're taking inventory. Do I have everything that I need? Am I ready for this? Am I ready to go? Again, as it applies spiritually, as it applies to our mind, I do think it's good for us to pause from time to time and just take spiritual inventory. Take spiritual inventory and specifically of what's been going on in here. Of what, what have you been giving your attention to? What's been occupying your thoughts? What, what's been influencing us? What's been entertaining us? Where are we giving our mental energy to? And so it's good just to take inventory. And then once we take inventory, I trust the Spirit will show you, like, there's some things that, well, we're not ready or we're engaged and perhaps we shouldn't. And so we need to make adjustments. And it's good to ask, Lord, am I being entertained by sinful things? Am I allowing my mind to be filled with just worldly stuff? Or even worry? Fear? What, what, what's been going on? What's your thought life look like? recently. And so Peter is directing us, we, we have to be ready, take inventory. And if there's some things that we need to repent of, then let's repent of that. If there's some things we need to adjust of how much we're giving to just mindless scrolling or unguarded or unfiltered entertainment. And then we need to make those adjustments as the Spirit leads and convicts you as He is doing in my life, you know, to impede the ability then to respond to God's voice. And when God says, this is what I want you to do, and this is where I want you to go. So much noise in our life today. So many voices that are competing for your attention. I just ask this in love. When was the last time you just sat quiet before the Lord for the purpose of hearing God's voice. 
Paul tells the Ephesian church, we should gird ourselves, same word, with the belt of truth. And he later on says, which is the word of God. It's a very important part, right? Because if we're going to gird our mind, then it means, in the imagery of it, taking the loose extra and, and tightening that up. Removing that slack so that we can be disciplined, so that we can be fit. And how do we do that? Well, it it comes through the Word of God. It, It comes through then putting our mind on things above, allowing the Word of God to wash and cleanse and fill. Because I think we all know this. The way that you think will determine the way that you live. And if we have loose, sloppy, unattended thinking, we will have loose, sloppy, unattended living. Okay? There's a whole part of this, and this is why we're going to spend some time just on one verse. Practical application. You are the guardian of your mind. You are the gatekeeper of what comes in and what you allow to come in. The influences through all kinds of various sources. And if we're not watching and we're not mindful of what goes into our mind, if we're careless, oh, then we're going to, you know, our minds will just be entertained by anything. I don't think I have to tell you, there's a spiritual war happening that we're involved in, and a big part of that spiritual warfare is the battlefield of our mind. And part of that spiritual warfare is then the hearts of people and the hearts of your kids through their minds. And what's being taught to them? What's being inputted into them? In schools, and colleges, and social media, and the media, you know, it's, they are indoctrination centers and sources. And we can't be blind to this. Music, movies, Hollywood, social media, video games... It has a stronghold on the world, influencing the world. And if I can address us as parents, parents, you are, we are primary, we are the primary gatekeepers of what kind of messaging comes into our homes, of what we allow our own family to be entertained by. The things that our kids are watching and they're listening to and what they chuckle at and what they're scrolling If anything we can take away from this is we we need to pay better attention. Because make no mistake, there there is an evil agenda. There's a narrative that seeks to infect our minds. And along with that, our ability to discern even what is right and wrong. And so I think an important part, I believe, what Peter is leading us to, the idea of the gird up the loins of our mind 
that we anchor ourselves in truth. And so we need to think critically. But I'd add this, we need to think biblically. To have a biblical worldview. Because the world will love to, to promote its definition of things, its definition of marriage, its definition of gender, its, its definition of right and wrong. And we can be enamored with that and adopt those things to our detriment. Or really what we should be doing is like, Lord, what, what do you say about this? What does the scripture have to say about this? Because it is each of our responsibility. And again, if we don't carry it out, then we're in danger. Remember the writer of Hebrews says, I don't want you to become dull of hearing. Because if you become dull of hearing, you'll become dull of heart. And when you become dull of hearing and dull of heart, you'll drift. And if you continue in a pattern of drift, you're going to wreck. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I don't think God wants that for us. And I love our faith. Our faith is a faith of engaging our brain. Jesus said, in quoting from the Old Testament, we're to love the Lord God with all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. And so Christianity isn't a check your brain at the door. It is an Isaiah 1, 13, 1, you know, come let us reason, says the Lord. Let's think critically about these things that we're reading, we're hearing, we're watching. Let's think biblically about these things. Let's cultivate that. And it's okay to have questions, and it's okay to have doubts. God's not afraid of those things. You realize that? I love that scene in the upper room uh, there. You know, it's the week after Easter. Jesus has resurrected. Thomas ditched church, so don't ditch church. They're like, you blew, you missed it. Jesus showed up. It was awesome. So he repents. He shows up for the next Sunday night service. And there Jesus is. You remember what he says to Thomas? Thomas, my paraphrase. And I'll make it really, real paraphrase, right? You don't have to trip out. Like, don't doubt. I'm not afraid of your questions. Here I am. Stick your finger in. Here's my hand. Here's my side. Welcome the questioning. Welcome the challenge. God's not afraid of that. We don't check our brain. Again, listen, we do not want, and I do not want us, as I want to be a faithful under-shepherd to our chief shepherd. Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of this church. But part of what I have, have responsibility to do in teaching the word of God as faithfully as I can, right? A workman not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We do not want to be biblically illiterate. And can I say this? Please don't allow Sunday mornings to be the only time you're cracking open your Bible. The Old Testament talks about a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, not a famine of Kirkland pizza. But there'll be a famine of the word of God. And, and, and we live in a time and day where the scripture is as easily accessible as ever. You can download an app and have like hundreds of Bibles and commentaries and teachings like right at our fingertips. 
And yet, I wonder what is the biblical literacy rate of believers today. We don't want to be biblically illiterate. And I'll add this, we don't want to be biblically lazy. The world is full. It is a minefield of lies. It is a minefield of half-truths. It is a minefield of twisted reality. And one of the things that Scripture allows us to do is a light and a lamp to our feet and our path is to give us discernment as to where we need to go and how we navigate these minefields of lies and exposing those things. And so Peter writes and says, hey, church family, gird up the loins of your mind in response to all that God has done. Don't be spiritually disheveled. Don't allow your thought life to trip you up. We got to be ready. We got to be ready to go. We got to be ready for this fight because punches are coming. And as pilgrims and sojourners on this journey, we don't want to be casualties of the battle along the way. Then he adds, be sober. Be sober. Now that phrase literally means be free from drunkenness or the effects of intoxicants. We don't want to be under the influence of something. That's the idea. And he's not talking literally about drinking, although there's a lot of application that could be made about being sober, and the Bible doesn't have any prohibition against drinking alcohol, but there's a lot of wisdom in terms of you know, the wisdom of it, and certainly it tells us drunkenness is sin. But again, it's a metaphor, it's an illustration. Peter's using this figuratively to say, church family, we need to be spiritually, we need to have a spiritual sobriety. Don't be under the influence of something else. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that word, it means clear-headed, temperate, a, a stableness of mind. It is to be in a place where we can think clearly and, and be self-controlled, that we're not under the influence then of our emotions, of the uh, provocation sometimes of the news today. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll see the news and I'll just, I'll, I'll feel my heart rate increase. I get angry. Some of that's by design. By design to get us angry. By design to get us hating each other and divisive. And so we don't want to be distorted in our ability to rightly discern. I mean, that, that's in a sense what drunkenness does, right? I mean, I remember my BC days before Christ. I, I was in that scene. I had a lot of friends that were in that scene. I can't ever say any good thing actually came out of those times where we, you know, we were plastered and just in the world. And often, you know, when a person's drunk, like they, right, they, they lose a lot of their inhibitions, right? They, they act in a way that they wouldn't normally act. They say things they wouldn't normally say. And, and they make decisions they wouldn't normally make, right? Like wisdom goes out the world. I mean, that's why 
it's terrible when you hear about drunk driving because your, your ability to decide, it's impaired. And people hurt others, they'll hurt themselves. And so on a spiritual level, same thing, God wants us to be sober, clear-minded, self-controlled. That we wouldn't be distracted by the intoxicating ways of the world. Even the world uses, I mean, even, you know, outside of the Bible, there's those terms like drunk on power, addicted to money, intoxicated with pleasure. And it is a lure that the world uses. We're looking for pleasure, or sometimes we're just looking for a release from pain. It's the same lure to numb us, dull us. So we chase after those things. We buy into those things. We get hooked on those things. But Jesus said the, the, the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things, it will come in and it will choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful, Mark 4.19. And so be sober, Peter is telling us. To be clear-headed in our thinking. That we can see things for what they are and, and, and project and know this is the results if I buy into that. There's another aspect of this word too. It's not just being lured to uh, sinful things and things outside of what God would want for us, but, but also it's, there's an element where we're not so defeated and we're not so disheartened when trouble comes our way. A lot of what Peter is going to write about is suffering and having a proper perspective of trials and tribulations. And there's a part of this where we're not thinking clearly, where we just go inward, right? And we're just in a constant downward spiral. There's no joy. There's no peace. It's woe is me. And every day it's woe is me. And you find people all of a sudden, they, they buy into this nihilistic a attitude, right? There's a, this morose mentality. My life is terrible. It's always going to be terrible. And it's almost the other way. They become inebriated with the worry of the world. And fear sets in. And yet the scripture says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. We need to be thinking soberly and right about these things. Because sometimes we can just become, we just succumb to that. And we're just living in the valley the whole time. Jesus says, listen, I don't want you to worry about your life, what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. And the idea is like all the normal things that happen. And he goes on to say, God, God knows what you need. God knows those things. So you don't have to hit the panic button. Your life is more than food and clothes and, and, and the current worries. Your heavenly father knows your needs. He says, check out the birds of the air. They're, they're not buying into cryptocurrency, the Rick Barnett version, right? They're, they don't sow, they're not toiling, and yet they're good. If God provides for them, how much more will God take care of you? How much more is your life valuable? Sometimes we tend to over-worry about things. And the same thing, it's the idea of, hey, we need to think soberly. God's on the throne and God loves you. God promises all things work together for good. 
As we talked about before, right? Sometimes what will happen when we encounter these things, we'll be tempted to think God doesn't care. We'll be tempted to think God doesn't love you. We'll be tempted to think God's not real, which is the wrong thinking. And lastly, this word sober, it's often coupled with the phrase, be alert or be watchful or be awake. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, let us not sleep as others do, but let's be watchful and sober. Peter's going to say later, be sober and watchful for your adversary prowling around like a lion seeking whom he might devour. See, sometimes the issue isn't that we're being lured by the world or we're going low in our thoughts. Sometimes it's just we've been lulled asleep by indifference. The next verse, Peter's going to say, hey, we got to leave that old life. And there's grace because we are ignorant. But God says, don't be ignorant anymore. We, we I don't say this in love. Some of us, we need to wake up. We need to wake up. Paul tells the church in Rome, knowing the time, the hour is already here. It's time for us to wake up out of our sleep, out of our spiritual slumber. Because our salvation is near to us for the fullness, the redemption, it is then, then we have first believed, Romans 13, 11. We don't want to make a mistake of terms too, right? Like the world uses now this phrase of being woke. I'm not, I'm not talking about being woke. We need to be awake. Very different. Thinking critically, thinking biblically. Because just as it's dangerous to be drunk and you drive, it's just as dangerous to be asleep and sleepy and drive. The result can be the same. Disaster. Then he says, rest your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is a forward-thinking, forward-looking believer. And he orients us that way. And we as believers today, that, that's our orientation, right? We look forward and we're moving forward and we're moving onward and we're moving upward. Later on, in a second later, Peter will say, everything's going to be destroyed. It's all going to burn, baby. All that's going to be left is Tupperware and those armor-plated cockroaches that fly around here in Okinawa, right? <laughs> no, even that's all going to be gone. The word of God will prevail. We who are eternal will prevail. And he says, if that's the reality of our life, then how ought we to live today? And Peter's going to bring us to a place. He's going to tell us, hey, we need to pursue a life of holiness. None of us drifts into holiness. It's a pursuit. But he says, and then looking forward. If that's the case, then looking forward. And so, so many times he's going to bring Jesus and the coming of Christ into the conversation. It's good for us. It gives us perspective. So to think well and to think biblically and to remember Christ is coming back. The, this whole phrase, rest your hope fully on the grace. It's one word in the Greek. Uh, El piso, it means to set, to concrete, to fix, attached to hope. Our hope is concreted 
It is the absolute assurance of a future good. It is the unwavering expectation of good things to come. It's not a skeptical, maybe Costco will come or not. No, it is a promise that God says, I'm going to do this. And yet you don't have to partially believe. You don't have to partially hope. It can be a full, the weight of your whole life we can set upon this. And so Peter brings us to what, what happens when we're thinking well, we're thinking soberly, we're thinking correctly about the nature of God, the goodness of God. We'll have hope. Despite the turbulence and despite the uh, hard times and despite the dark days, that experientially will challenge then what we believe. He says, fix your hope fully on the Lord. And the idea of that then is there's no other room for us to put our hope than anything else. And so don't, <laughs> don't, don't put your hope on anything else except for the grace of God. Why? Because everything else will disappoint and everything else will break and everything else will fail. How many know as much as we love people and trust people that people will fail you? They'll disappoint you. Institutions will fail us. Sometimes we can put our hope in this institution. And it's mostly good, but then you realize, oh, I'm just a number. Money will fail. Things will break. Systems will crash. But God will never fail you. God will never fail you. God's grace is guaranteed. And it is the brand of God's hope that is the insurance that all things will work together for good. That's God's promise. We talked before, right? It's a hope that anchors us past our present circumstances and tethers us to heaven. And because God is immutable and God is immovable and God never changes, we have a steadfast hope that keeps us locked in. So we can rest our hope, thinking well and right. Because Christ is coming back. It's brought to us the revelation of Jesus Christ. And over and over again, Peter is going to point us there. Over and over again, Peter is going to point us forward. In the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our trials, he's going to constantly pull back the, the backdrop of eternity and say, listen, I know it's hard right now, and I know it's yucky right now, but remember where we're going. As Paul would say, we reminded what was two weeks ago, that light and temporary affliction, it's working for you an eternal weight of glory. And we won't be disappointed. And so we put our focus on Christ. We get our eyes on the Lord. The focus of our hope on Jesus. One day soon, we're going to see him. One day soon, I believe the Lord will come back soon. And so Peter, through this letter, is going to remind us, we're pilgrims passing through. Don't make this your home. Don't get too attached. Yes, while we're here, God has a mission for us. 
There's a thing that we're to do. God, God wants us then to do something in light of who we are, in light of what he's done, in light of who he is. As obedient children, let's be holy. Let's love each other. Let's be light and salt. So there's a lot of, lot of application for us. But we're temporary residents. And so in light then, therefore, this great gift that we get to experience and enjoy, despite the hard knocks, despite the tough times, take charge of your thought life. Don't be loose and sloppy with it. Think critically. Think biblically. Ask questions. Go for it. We also need to guard the way we think. We need to guard, we're the guard, you know, we need to be the gatekeepers of what comes into our homes and our kids. Let's be sober about our thinking, clear-minded spiritually. Not overly concerned and enamored with the world and its trinkets, and not overly worried about the troubles that we have, and certainly not sitting in a place of indifference. We, some of us, we need to wake up. But through it all, we can keep our hope fixed on Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what I got for you this morning. Father, we thank you so much. One verse, good stuff in it. Lord, I trust and pray that through your spirit, there are things that you wanted to say, reveal, convict, comfort. Lord, I I do pray you would cultivate us a hunger and a thirst for spiritual things. That as, well, as, as we'll be reminded soon, that as newborn babes, that we might desire the pure milk of the word, that we might grow thereby. That we would lay aside the junky stuff of the world, our sin, our deceit, our hypocrisy, our envy. Lord, and come to you as a, as a living stone, that you would build us up into a spiritual house. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.